0: I'd like to welcome everyone to the third podcast series focused on leadership within the sport, tourism, natural resources, recreation, and event planning industries. Today's podcast, we welcome one of our outstanding alumni, Dale Smith, the current CEO of the Smith Management Training and Consulting Services Group. Prior to founding Home Management Training and Consulting Company, Dale had a distinguished career within the public park and recreation profession, including five years as the Rocky Mount Parks and Recreation Director. In today's podcast, Dale discusses some of the challenges and opportunities facing the parks and recreation profession and what park and recreation leaders need to consider as they position themselves as an integral and essential community service. Dale also shares some of her insights related to what organizations need to do to permanently change their culture to create a more inclusive organizational environment. Okay, well, today I'm really excited in the third of our podcast to have Dale Smith. Um, Dale is now a consultant and she'll tell you a little bit more about her um new consulting business but i've known dale for about 15 years for firstly in her role and working for raleigh parks and recreation and then as the director of rocky mount parks and recreation and uh having spent her entire career in public recreation and now consulting with a number of public and other organizations. Dale brings with her a wealth of knowledge in terms of organizational change and leadership development. And so we're really excited to have you here today. And alongside her, we've got the indelible Dr. Michael Cantors. Michael?
1: I've been called a lot of things, but that's probably one of the better ones. Thank you
0: so much. So Dale, um, you know, I've known you for 15 years. Give us a little bit of a, a yeah. behind, um, you know, your your transition from the director of Rocky Mount Parks and Recreation to some of the exciting projects that you've got going on now.
2: Sure. Uh, first, I want to thank you guys for um, uh, inviting me to be a part of this. Um, I, it's been very, it's been a whirlwind couple of months. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on. Um, as far as my life and parks and recreation, it's, was the basis of, I, I love parks and recreation. That's who, that's what I am. Who I am is part of me. It's not just uh, it wasn't just a job. It was, is my profession and I loved it. And I think I was involved in parks and recreation during a huge transformation period. Um, when I first started a lot of years ago with the city of Raleigh, um, Parks and recreation was 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 important to the city of Raleigh, um, but it it I don't think it has anywhere near it didn't have anywhere near the impact it has today, mm. and it was more thought of as service oriented, more service oriented, more um, uh, giving people what they want, but not really thinking through a lot of other services that we were providing. And think and doing and doing all the, I think, data support and all of the research that we do currently um, about about parks and recreation and how it um, how it affects communities and and supports communities in the way that it does. So it, we trans it you know over my twenty five years with the city of Raleigh, it really went from more of a service oriented organization to more of a dynamic, um, I would say. Um, community-changing effort. Um, Parks and Recreation, I think Raleigh and Par- Raleigh and Raleigh Parks and Recreation um, right now to me is synonymous with what's good about the city, um, what the great things that they have done over the years. And when I started out, that not, wasn't necessarily the case. It was a little bit of a backseat. I think it's in the forefront now.
0: So, so you talk about Raleigh um, being at the forefront yeah. of community development. Do you see other departments like that? Do you think that's common or do you think that's mainly symptomatic of maybe some of the bigger cities? I mean, you went from there to Rocky. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it, I think it's, I think it's more common than it was, than it has been, but I still think we're in a, we're in a, um, an area that we're going to have to still climb a mountain, a little bit of a mountain. It depends on resources. Um, it depends on whether or not, truthfully, if you have a city manager or city council that understands the impact uh, that those uh, that parks and recreation can do to a community. Um, but I, I'm, I'm really I feel really kind of positive about parks and recreation agencies. I work with a lot uh, now in North Carolina. I work with a lot of small agencies that are really kind of hitting it out of the park. Now they're still scrapping for obviously for resources, and they're being creative about um, what they're doing. But they are gaining momentum and gaining support. Now, what's gonna what's gonna be really interesting to see for me is after going through what we're going through these last several months, is to see the reaction of what councils and town uh, town halls and and um, city councils and county councils are gonna be doing with the resources that they have for parks and recreation. It's really inco- incumbent on parks and recreation directors and their supporting mechanisms to be able to quantify their impact on the community. And it is more important today than it's has ever been. And we've gone through some significant, in the last 20 years, there's been some significant things that have happened to the um um, within communities that have stretched parks and recreation agencies. And, you know, the most recent before this happened was the 2008 uh, financial crisis. And, you know, a lot, yeah, a lot of people went, you know, there were a lot of restructuring, a lot of merging, a lot of people lost, parks and recreation directors uh, lost their titles and moved into planning divisions and all of that. You know, it's my hope that, that experience is specifically for those people that have gone through that, that they are thinking differently, that they align themselves because there's a lot of alignment needed with council goals, with um, strategic planning, with all of those things. You have to be thinking about all of that so that you can be- become visible and stay visible. And that when that service is thought about and somebody says we're thinking about uh, moving away from it. That people start getting an uproar. That there are things that people are pushing back.
1: Dale, do you think? <clears throat> so we've heard a lot um, over the last three months now about parks and recreation um, uh, getting a lot more attention than it's gotten a lot of years, and yeah. um, people are appreciating um, parks and recreation maybe more than they have in the past. Uh, yep. I've also heard the same thing, that there's a lot of concern about resources shrinking because the tax base potentially is going down, and and that's going to be realized at a number of public service departments. But do you think there's also an opportunity here that we might be able to garner more resources for parks and recreation because of this um, renewed awareness about the value of parks and recreation in our communities?
2: I absolutely think there is opportunity for that, but i, bu- I t- truly believe that leadership has to recognize that and recognize how that can be translated into um into the language that people above them are talking yeah because a lot of times if we don't if we're not able to um, to do that, we lose the connection and we lose the ability to have the influence
1: yeah I've heard that they
2: absolutely what they're talking about. Is that there are areas of advancement that communities can do that don't just revolve around policing, and um, and that having police departments collaborate more often and more uh, substantially with uh, parks and recreation agencies, social services division, all those all those kind of things, to to kind of attack um, the community as a whole. And look at it from more of a strategic way of looking, and instead of just having a police department with mo- just tons of money and have and trying to do everything. They're really good at policing. Yeah. There are a lot of people, other people that can help them and support them. Well, it's prevention uh, in right. ways, isn't the, yeah the prevention,
1: prevention and and mental yep. health, and yep. and that's you're you're right in our wheelhouse when you start talking about those kinds of things.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, um, I remember several years ago, this has been probably 10 years plus, you know, uh, police uh, came up with police leagues, basketball leagues. Yep. They were prominent throughout the, the you basketball. Know, league. Carolina. Yeah. yeah. And, w- you know, there were agencies, there were like people like the city of Wilson. They had a collaborative effort. The police department got the money. And they gave it to the Parks and Recreation Department, or maybe it wasn't Wilson, but one of the communities I remember down east. They gave it to the Parks and Recreation Department and had the Parks and Recreation Department actually run the league. It was called a police league, but the people that actually do that kind of work was actually doing it. Now, there are other communities that were gaining, getting that funding were bringing it to the police department, and they were trying to run it. And it just there's just so much more collaboration that could be going on. Um, and having the people, the right people doing the right job—that's that's that's kind of just my opinion. Yeah, no,
0: that's a good opinion. <laughs> so, so when so you you sort of hit upon this, and and you know, uh, there's going to be a, a a number of folks listening to this podcast who are young, up yeah. and coming, welcome recreation professionals, hopefully directors. When you think so- about some of the long term or perhaps permanent changes that will affect public recreation. You talked about the 2008 crisis and now we're in another very, very yeah. critical situation. Um, what advice or what what input would you say that, you know, leadership and parks and recreation leaders currently, but also future park and recreation leaders, what do they really need to focus on?
2: Well, I think it's really diverse in, in the thought process, but uh, when thinking about this question, um, obviously safety is probably one of the number one things. Uh, making sure they have safety protocols. Not you know, if, if I had a child and I wanted to have them play football or basketball, or I wanted them to take a class, karate class, I wanna make sure that when, I, when I hand them off that they are gonna be safe. Not only safe, you know, uh, physically, but safe from disease, safe from all of that. I think our safety, the safety protocols have to be specific and they have to be uh, proactive and they have to be upfront, they have to be communicated in a way that we've never done before. We have to really think about that. Um, I think that our focus on natural resource management is a big deal, uh, open space and trail initiatives. I think uh, there, in large cities, there's a lot of focus on that there's not as much in smaller areas, um, and um, now that we they everyone should have. I hope everyone should have significant data about their usage uh, in this last three month period um, that supports that people like to get outside, especially if they don't have other things to do. Specifically, be inside they can't. Stay, you know, with the with Corona um, with COVID 19, and so um, I believe that that focus on natural resources is important. There's gonna to have to be some look at virtual program delivery. Um, I don't know that it'll be sustainable at the level we're trying to do right now, but trying to figure out which programs would, would actually uh, would actually flourish in that environment and which programs might have to come back and which programs maybe there's a, there's a mixture at some point. Um, that's very different from anything that we've done before. Um, diversification of funding sources. Um, the city of Greensboro does a really good job, I think, in pursuing, um, additional grant, uh, funding, uh, community funding, uh, partnerships, uh, identifying partners and places that they can actually, uh, pull together funding to be able to do some of the work that they do. Um, I will have to tell you, when I was with the city of Raleigh, I didn't recognize how fortunate that city is, because in a lot of ways, parks and recreation is financed through city funds. In a lot of ways, in most communities inside of North Carolina, I don't know about. I can't tell you about outside of North Carolina, but in North, inside of North Carolina, most communities rely on a lot of other funding to be able to get some of the things they need to get done. Done. I think that is going to even be more of a uh, more of a concern and more thought around how to do that. Um, I think defining your mission and sticking to your brand and understanding what you can do and what you can't do. If you look at parks and recreation agencies, you know, uh, I, I went to some um, training one time and they said, you know, we were talking about police is the police department, fire is the fire department, but parks and recreation, it could be parks and recreation and cultural management. It could be parks and recreation and cemetery management. It could be parks. It could be recreation. It could be, there's a, there's just our, it's just a myriad. So understanding what you are really good at what you have the resources to do, I think it's going to be important. Um, empathy and patience <laughs> for leadership. Understanding, you know, right now everybody's under a lot of stress. One of the things I noticed, I mean, I've been uh, talking to a lot of my smaller departments, and even I see, I have a lot of friends that work in the larger departments, and the management, the the uh, the communication about the emergency management communication has been lacking in a lot of ways. People um, didn't recognize. There are a lot of people, you know there are a lot of agencies that have uh, directors that are kind of behind the scenes. They love, they, they don't mind being in front, but they, they like that behind the scenes and they have people out there doing that kind of stuff. When you're in this kind of crisis management situation, it is time, the leadership, the, the, the big leader, for lack of a better word, the person that's rolling the boat really truly has to step forward and they have to say what their goals are, and what they are trying to accomplish. And they have to to mobilize their people and recognize, be very cognizant, don't stay in a bubble here. They have to recognize what their people might be going through down here. So I'll give you for instance, you know, um, a lot of agencies, they have uh, people working from home and y'all know this because you've done this, but you have people working from home that had, you know, a couple of kids in school. And they're having to um, homeschool them and get them, uh, you know, taken care of throughout the day. So they have a full-time job they're working. Plus they have a second full-time job of dealing with that. And the operation like it used to work and the thought of everybody being truly focused on one thing is just not, it's not going to happen. It's not, they'd have the ability. And, and my my thing, my thought is, is that we're going to see more of that for a longer period of time than people think that that we are. And so, management leadership has to understand that it can't be business as usual. There's got to be a the ability to pivot. Yeah, isn't it,
1: there's no. It's not one size fits all. You have to adapt. It's not almost by
2: person. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. True. You know, and you have to keep your ear to the ground. That's one of the things that I, you know, we. Got, I think there was a question here about leadership and one of the things, one of the things for me is that I've always done is try to keep my ear to the ground to make absolutely sure I kind of understood what was going on beyond me and beyond my direct reports. And that if something like that came up, that I had the ability to actually have someone within the organization or several people within the organization that would have the bit, be comfortable enough to come to me and say, hey, Dale, this is happening. You need to know about it so that I would have the ability to be able to react. And I think this scenario um, is so important to have those people that are willing to to come in with something that may not be either not popular or may be able to give you a heads up. I think that's significant. Um, Communication in this whole deal. Is it? It's. I'll, I'm going to say it's one of the most important things that is that is happening right now. That that leadership has got to get really good at.
0: So Dale, like um, you know, we we talk about good communication. We talk about you know some of these issues you've you've talked about. Can you share with me like a really good example of how you've seen a leader during a crisis communicate really effectively? Because many of our young leaders love examples and stories.
2: Now, I'm going to tell you one and you're going to want to kick me off of this uh, podcast. So I got but I got to be honest. Um, I am I'm I'm working now. I um, I'm working as an adjunct. At UNC Chapel Hill, uh, we're done. As we're done. a we're
1: done. <laughs> we're, we're having technical difficulties, and- <laughs> comes
2: down. And- I know you're gonna say it. I know you're gonna say it. Um, so I, I'm gonna say I'll do it quick. I just uh, the the uh, the dean of the School of Government and the Chancellor over there has done um, kind of an amazing job keeping us abreast of what's going on. And the reason that I think it's important for me to state it is because I'm the low man on the totem pole. I'm way down there. Uh, they use me as project, uh, you know, based on projects when they need me, but I felt just as informed as the person that sits at the office beside him or them. And I, I think that's really important. Um, I, I think that uh, I'll give you city of Greensboro because uh, I live here. So I know a lot more about it. Uh, the city manager here after we had all the riots and everything that occurred um, within about a week. I want to say a week and a half after that. Um, he had an all the dep- uh, an all city call. He brought in his HR department and some of his leadership development people, and they had a um, a call to talk about what was going on, the scenario around um, Black Lives Matter, uh, all that had happened to the city, um, everything that was going on with um, with his uh, with his his people, meaning the city city employees. And uh, it gave people the ability to speak in a way that uh, they had never, they had not had the opportunity to do it. And I'm going to tell you I, from people that i talked to that were on the call, that it was a, 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 quite of an emotional moment, moments for them, but it gave people the ability to release some of that. And I felt, I, I felt that that was a significant thing uh, throughout this because it was a moment. I, I was talking to another friend, Uh, A friend of mine um, that's a director in Parks and Recreation, we were talking about everything that was going on. And uh, one of the things that he was talking about, he was talking about, well, now that this has happened, this is what we need to do. we got to do this, this, this and this. And he was all in his head with it. And I told him, I said, one of the things you have to we, we finished our conversation and it just stuck with me. I sent him a text afterward and I said, this is a moment that has to be felt. It's not, it's, it's a, it's a, it definitely there's going to have to be action afterward, but the, it's really important. If you've got people, you've got to feel this and you got to make sure that they are allowed to feel it. And then you can progress, but you can't compress it to the head. Automatically. It just, it just won't work. Hmm. So that's kind of my thought around that.
0: Yeah. i you know, I, I'm really interested in this because I've, obviously we've done three of these podcasts now and, and over the last few years, I've talked to many different leaders, um, you know, and, and these two huge events, right? The, the COVID pandemic and the, the Black Lives Matters protests yeah. over systematic racism, you know, have, have really forced many of us, all of us, well, at least many of us to really rethink what it means to lead an organisation. I mean, Michael and I have had these conversations, and um, you know, are there are there aspects of your leadership philosophy that have have remained steadfast or changed because of these events? I mean, I know you work with, you know, as part of your consulting group, you've you've seen and you've yeah. got your hands in a lot of different organisations. Are there things that have have changed or or, or strengthened? In you, in in terms of your beliefs and leadership and what you've said.
2: well, you know, I said it before. Uh, being a great communicator is just vital. Um, it was it was vital before this, but it's even more vital now. And you have to uh, have have empathy. Being able, you know, empathy, you got to be able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You got to be able to walk there you know, or you got to be able to will, be willing to listen, to be able to try to do that and understand. And those are those are significant significant things, I think, that are important. Those are my steadfast things. Um, I I believe in. Um, I'm 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 gonna tell you since I've gone through um, my go, went back to school and and I'm you know I'm a certified coach now. Listening is very important. Listening and understanding and getting clarification. Like a lot of, you know, we I, I tell people when I teach is, you know, we all bring different stories, every one of us. And and I am, when I'm talking to you and if we're exchanging, just having a, a, a lot of exchange, I'm just pulling up stuff from my background and my experiences and my background and associating with things that I'm talking with you. And you're doing the same thing. Yeah. And what we're doing is we're interpreting each other based on our own experiences. And when things are said, sometimes people just say, they take it based on their experiences. And what I have learned is that I need to ask the next question. So if you say something to me that really that kind of says that it either is a big word or a word that can be interpreted in many ways, I'm going to, I'm going to say back to you. So Jason, Tell me what that means to you, now, you might so that I have clarity around here,
1: me. Dale, we're not at Carolina. We don't use big words over here. At <laughs> That's what they all do over there at Carolina, that blue school. <laughs> oh, man, I'm,
2: I'm going to hate that I mentioned that. I hate I mentioned that.
1: So you, one thing um, you you said really resonates with me, and, and the, li- okay. the listening is really important. And to me, you can always not always tell but to me an indicator of someone that isn't listening well is while they're t- while you're talking i'm formulating i'm thinking in my head what i'm going to say next mm-hmm. rather than focusing yeah. on what you are talking about and and yeah. you see these disjointed conversations then you talk and then i'll talk but they're not really connected to each other if you have two people that aren't yeah. listening very well so
2: that's right that is that saying you know people Li- start listening to hear versus listening to respond, right. and that's you know yeah. that's really important. And I, you have to slow yourself down on that, right? You have to take a moment and think. Yeah. You know, um, leadership. You know, and this is this is no different than any time in history. Is leadership has to recognize how much influence they have on their people and how they how they come across. I, I in my teaching, I I talk to people about what they look like every day when they come to work. And I don't mean like necessarily dress, even though dress is important, but um I'm, I'm how do you carry yourself? You know, when you walk in every day to your workplace, do people know what kind of mood you're in? Mm-hmm. And if they do, do they scatter? Can you see you open the door <laughs> and they are hitting the scatter button, right? or I tell them, like they'll say hey uh, I'll use Michael Michael I'll use you as an example I'll just say hey Michael's in a good mood today let's get him let's slide that uh thing that we need him to sign put stick that on his desk right now right so my the, the goal is is everyone wants consistency sure they you know they want to be cared about and they want consistency and that's one of the things that you know, I hear when I go into agencies, one of the things I hear most of all is that I either don't know what's going on or they don't value my opinion or value me. Mm. Those two things you hear all the time. And it doesn't matter whether in an agency of three or in an agency of 1200, it doesn't matter. It's just a significant piece. But changes you mentioned things that I feel like I, I would change in leadership overall is I no I'm going to say this and this is like you know they you talk about vulnerability I'm just going to say this in a in a very vulnerable way because I, I don't know that I've ever said this publicly so I'm a I'm a I'm a um, I am a black female. And I've done really well in my career. I've I've done really well. And I, and and the honest, the truth is I've not had many issues um, around, uh, or at least anything that I perceived as issues around my blackness or me being a female. I've not seen that. I'm just going to, I'm straight up honest about it. But the truth is I've seen it in other areas. Sure. And my goal would be if I were in agencies now, it would be when I see something, I would say something. There's a difference. And, you know, I've, I've kind of maneuvered the waters, guys. And that's just the honest truth. I uh, stay, you know, I, I used to you, you hear women come in and talk about, you know, I never wanted to talk about being a woman because I don't I didn't want it to be the the, the my legacy or the part of me that was, stand, you know, standing out. I'm the same way. I do not ever want my race or my sex to be a part of this. But the truth is, you know, now and the way things have changed and the openness that I think is happening here, you know, it's just who I am. And I bring a unique set of maybe maybe values and thought process that is very much needed in the workplace as a whole. So, I, so I, I, think that my thought process now, I would, my goal would be to be different that way. And the other goal is when I work with agencies that have people, women of color, um, that have people that, that I would talk about that yeah. in a way that I would never have broached before.
1: So Dale, you just so brilliantly articulated the true value of diversity in the workplace bringing that different perspective there. And if you inhibit that perspective, then all we're doing is contributing to that homogenized workplace where I'm going to say what other people, what I think they want me to say. That's exactly right. Saying what I truly believe.
0: But on the other hand, though, the environment of the workplace has to feel safe, right? Because- Um, you know, I've I've spoken to, you, you know, other people work that I know have worked in organizations where they felt the workplace hasn't been safe to take a, as much of an upfront, um, yeah. you know, perspective on, on who they are.
2: Yeah. And I agree. I mean, it, it it's 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 a it's a tough road. But, you know, I don't know, like for me, I have a lot of legitimacy now. People, I have built my, I guess, my career and I've built my um, ability to deal with people overall and people, I think I have, you know, I'm just saying just straight up, I think people respect who I am. And if I now that I have that status, why shouldn't I use it to further other people that look like me to be able to be more open? And I, you know, I, I just like, like when i and I'll just be straight up honest with you guys. I have never said that before to anyone. So, That's the first time
1: we're going through. And Jason's a part of this as well. Yeah. We're going through this training. It's called Whiteness at Work. It's a it's a series wow. of trainings. And I was listening to the first module yesterday, and um, one of the facilitators said something that really resonates with what you just talked about. She's an African American woman, and she says that. Uh, and she's quite successful she says mm-hmm. she is feels like she's an expert at knowing what how to act based on what white people expect she's an expert on white person behavior yeah. whereas i'm a white male i don't think like that have not thought like that when i go into a room i don't think okay how should i behave and talk based on what's what's in this who's in this room with me I've never yeah. thought like that. I I see something, I evaluate it, I listen, and then I respond. Whereas what she said in this the session as an African American woman, she said she has to change who she is in essence, right? Yeah. And and tailor the conversation or what she says and how she acts to reflect what the people in the room were expecting of her. Yeah. And that that really struck me. It was like, yeah. Wow. That really exemplifies how different my privileged white background is, right? And that it, that has, that hasn't entered into my thinking.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, for, for me, that, co- the, the conversation you just said, the things that you just said is, I think it's just, it's probably pretty much what I've probably lived all of my career, but I don't think I thought of it in that way. I think the conversation has been. Has never been there, but I, I knew. I learned how to maneuver, and I understood what I should do and what I shouldn't do. You learned like to play the, game. and uh, yeah, I had to play the game. So,
0: so Dale, like um, you know, bringing it back to to the leaders of this organization. I was I was recording a a, a lecture the other day for my grad class and and i went through this reflective thing of, of i started teaching this class in 2010 or 2011 and so much has happened in the world since then right the me too movement yeah the black lives movement now yeah that has really forced leaders to think about how to address the culture within their organization and take a critical look similar to what michael just described right yeah what sort of advice would you give those leaders if they wanted to build upon this momentum of some of these uh, movements to make some positive and very permanent changes, as opposed to, you know, this is sort of more temporary.
2: Well, the first one, I think that you got to understand the moment. I mean, truly understand it. This is different. It's a different moment. Um, is is significant in the history of our country. And it's going to be significant I mean, they'll be writing about this moment in history books and you can't just, you know, depending on, you know, we're all human. We all have our biases. We bring them to work every day. We do, you know, but but you've got to look. I I just was on a um, on a uh, webinar, actually some training that I have to take for coaching. And we had a woman talk about biases the other day. And what she said was, she said, everybody has them. We all have them. As soon as you walk into a a place, you uh, notice something, you notice someone, and that instant instant thing that happens, that happens, right? Recognize whatever that is, whatever that bias might be. She said, but you're going to have that. But it's the second thought that you have to work on. It's the second thing, the next thing, right? And so my my thought is is that we all like everybody's everybody in leadership is coming to work with all of these biases one way or the other and are we able to know that we're going to have it but then what are we going to do with that second thought what are we going to how are we going to change it how are we going to move forward with it right and i think understanding the moment is significant and i you know i'm i'm on social media so so understand the moment. I see there's a lot of people not understanding the moment. So so it's really important. I mean, people that I felt like did maybe recognize it, but just really honestly don't have a clue. Um, I think you got to allow like I think the, the guy in Greensboro, the city manager, I have a great deal of respect for him for putting himself out there. And giving people the opportunity to express their thoughts around what was going on, people were emotional. There were tears. There was a lot of stuff happening around it, and you couldn't, you can't not express it. You can't. You could, but then the organization would would falter because of it. Uh, but he allowed that to happen. And I said, listen intently. What what, you, what does your workforce have to say? You know, when um, I think on one of the calls, I think with with the city of Greensboro. Somebody just laid out when it said something specific said, don't allow, don't allow the management of this particular department for it to drop in their laps to be able to see there's going to be change because nothing will ever occur from it. That's a big say. That's a big say. And, and being able to feel safe enough in an environment to say that, and then there has to be action. Right. It can't be you say it and then move on. It's got to be there's got to be an action associated with it after everybody has the chance to kind of go through the moment. Um, I think it's just like in any other change management scenario. I think you got to have a support mechanism within the organization to continue the momentum. And that means it has to look like the people they're trying to help. Um, We we had this conversation uh, recently about. A lot of uh, agencies that assist uh, African-Americans um, typically could be, don't, don't look like African-Americans. Um, there's There's got to be, if you're going to deal with African-Americans and you're dealing with race, African-Americans have to be a part of the solution. It can't be on the sidelines waiting for someone else to do it. It has to be a collaborative effort. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing is, if, if you're not comfortable having those discussions, collaborate and bring somebody in that is, that can facilitate it, but don't not do it because you're uncomfortable with it. This is a moment of very uncomfortable. Th- this is a moment for everybody to be okay with being uncomfortable because that's where you are. Everybody's in this moment. Uh, white people and black people, everybody's uncomfortable. I have like I have a friend of mine that's in the clergy. She's a uh, uh, just getting ready to retire. She's high up in the Methodist Church. Did a lot of work for women's issues all over the world. And one of the things she was telling me, she she had this conversation to me. She said, "Dale, she said, I, I want to know what to do, but I know it's not your it's not your um, job to show me how to do it, right? But I'm sitting there. and thinking. First of all, I'm not thinking that way. But I'm but I'm thinking like." you know, that even that discussion for me is a little uncomfortable, yeah. right? Because I didn't expect, it wasn't an expectation. Um, so I think we just have to recognize it's an uncomfortable moment, wade through it, be honest, be authentic mm-hmm. in your response, authentic meaning with compassion. Um, I I said this on a, one of the social media platforms is that, um, I think people forget, you know, we're all connected and we're connected in ways that we've never been able to be connected before. And people forget how many diverse connections they have. They don't recognize it. And a lot of times when the biases that they have show, they show in a manner that would be, you know, for me, analysis for my friends or some of my friends and even my colleagues, they show in a manner that made me think, Holy cow. I don't know you at all. I had no idea. Right. And then I think about what those people are, who those people are leading and what, and that they're leading communities. And I'm like, Holy cow, there's so much work to be done. So I I think that's really, you know, really important. And then if I had to say just the overarching piece of this is listening and action, listening understanding taking action and do have a change management process in place. You can't do it. You're not going to be able to do it alone. I see a lot of small agencies, directors always think they got to do everything. They've got to have their people supporting them. Um, They've got to be listening to their staff, the people on the ground, the voices on the ground that are near it. All of that, I think is really important.
1: And don't be afraid to make a mistake that's right part of the culture right now is is inhibiting people because they're afraid of saying or doing the wrong thing we're going to make mistakes um, we are. learn from
0: those and then well i don't know about that i don't i don't think i make any mistakes
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it
0: okay well dale thank you so much this has been like a really 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 fascinating conversation and, and both Michael and I and our students really really appreciate this and uh, and um, we even though your reference to Chapel Hill we we know you oh, and, so uh, we're gonna Is we're it, gonna edit that out that's okay so sorry <laughs> but thank you so much Dale and uh, we look forward yeah. to, to seeing you in action
2: well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And I hope this is what you guys wanted and needed from me.
1: Um, Good stuff.
2: Right. Well, you guys have a great rest of the day, I guess, huh? Yeah,
1: thanks. I'm going to close it out. Yeah.